Good morning, church. Uh, it's so good to somewhat be with you this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brad Sarian. I'm a pastor of Restored Church in Los Angeles, and um, I've been with you guys three, four times over the past several years, uh, and it is such a bummer to not be able to be with you in person, uh, but due, obviously, to the season. Um, this is going to have to do for now, but uh, I do miss you all a ton. Uh, I love you guys so much, and it's a privilege to be able to use technology and uh, be able to speak in in this season, and so um, yeah, just want to say like I love you guys deeply. Uh, Grant and Shell are, are such close friends of mine. Uh, my wife Sarah's uh, Grant and I we we pretty much voice note text every single day, um, and and so I get to hear from him all the time. I get to hear about you guys. We get to pray for your church. I know you guys are praying for us in this season as well, and so um, yeah, I just deeply love you. I value you a ton, and it's a privilege to be able to to speak this morning uh, out of John 15. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll we'll dive on in together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace that I get to be preaching in Los Angeles right now and that my brothers and sisters in Durban are going to be able to hear your word through a computer, through a phone, whatever it is. Jesus, we, we praise you that there is nothing that can stop the good news of your kingdom advancing. Jesus, I thank you for Harbor City. I thank you that you love them deeply. Even in tough times like uh, these, that, that you're with each and every one of them. God, those who feel disconnected, those who feel uh, just exhausted and burnt out and just, um, yeah, just stuck. Whatever it is, God, you're for them, you're with them, you're pursuing them. I uh, praise you for that. So we love you. Would you help us this morning as we dive into your word that we would uh, be able to see you more clearly. Spirit, would you speak to us, uh, especially as we speak about joy, would would you make that a reality, Spirit, that that is a fruit you love to produce in us. And so we, we trust you, we love you. It's in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so I know you guys have been going through John 15 for the past few weeks, uh, as Grant's been preaching about abiding and remaining in Jesus and, and his love and obedience and all those Beautiful, beautiful things. John 15 is one of my favorite passages. When Grant uh, voiced out to me and just said, hey man, would you be interested? Uh, I know you got a lot on your plate right now, but uh, he mentioned John 15. I was like, I'm in. Uh, I love John 15. Uh, and he asked me specifically to speak around verse 11 about joy in Jesus. Uh, the, this happiness that, that what it looks like to follow Christ actually should lead to a deep, deep happiness and joy. And so uh, I'm going to read that for us um, in just a moment, but uh, I want you to think about the reality that no matter how different we all are, how, how different every single person is in your church, whether it is old and young, rich and poor, black and white, uh, conservative or liberal, whatever, whatever it is for you, there's something that all of us have in common. Even if you're a Christian or not a Christian, all of us have some, some, some basic things in common. And one of those things is that every single one of us desires to be happy. Every one of us. There's nobody listening to this like, ah, I'm not really into that happiness thing. I'm not, I, don't, I don't really care about joy. Uh, that's not me. I'm into other things. No, no. Everything you do in your life is for the sake of joy. It's for the pursuit of happiness. We as Americans, man, we have this even written into our Declaration of Independence that this is an inalienable right. Um, classic Americans. We, we deserve the pursuit 
of happiness, right? And, and, and all of us are pursuing happiness. Sad thing is many of us are very unsuccessful. Uh, and we can always blame it on other people. We can always blame it on circumstances. We can blame it on a lot of things. But there just seems to be a reality in our world that although all of us are seeking happiness, very few of us find it. I was listening to a song recently and, and the, the singer, he, he said this. He said, um, let me give the kids just a little help. Tell them that money is not the key to wealth. Because if that could stop the pain, how can you explain a bunch of millionaires who kill themselves? And I heard that lyric, I was like, whoa, there's a non-Christian secular artist singing and going, I've got money, I've got fame, I've got it all, and this can't stop this pain that I feel inside. We need to stop seeking money and wealth and the pursuit of fame and all these things as if those are going to be things that finally make us happy, because they don't. Otherwise, you would never have millionaires and, and celebrities killing themselves over the fact that there's a deep emptiness, a void that they've tried to numb with drugs or alcohol or any type of other addiction or, or even good things that we seek. We just go, I thought if I had this, I'd finally be happy. And see, Jesus, he, he offers us true happiness. He offers us a, a joy that does not change. It is something that we can actually receive today and walk in deeply. No matter how much money you have in the bank, no matter what your career looks like right now, no matter what's going on in your family, that there is a happiness and a joy that Jesus himself wants us to walk in. So if you've got your Bible, go to John chapter 15. Hopefully it's a little worn in over the past few weeks uh, that you're, you've been chewing on this passage. But John chapter 15, we're going to look at verse 9 to 13. 9 to 13, John 15. I'm reading out of the CSB version. Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says this, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Verse 11 is where we're going to kind of dig in today. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Verse 11, Jesus says, I want my joy to be in you so that your joy would be complete. Your joy would be full. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been full on joy. If you've ever been full on, on, on happiness. I, it's very rare moments of my life that I can actually think of that, that, that I would explain and articulate as in a fullness of joy. Right? I mean, there are times where I've eaten really good meals. I was even thinking of one of the meals that I shared with you guys um, a couple of years ago. Uh, we were eating at a restaurant and it was tremendous. The filet was awesome. The, the wine was terrific. The dessert came out. I was so full, I couldn't even eat the dessert. I took one bite. It was like one of the best cheesecake desserts I've ever had. And I literally couldn't eat anymore because I was full. And, and Jesus is going, I want your joy to be like that. 
I want you to experience such a deep happiness in me. There literally come a moment where you're like, I'm good. Like, I'm so good. I'm happy. I'm joy-filled because I have Jesus. He wants to make it complete. And yet, while I think many of us like the idea of that verse, very few of us have experienced it. And so today what I want to do is just kind of unpack verse 11 and jump over to a couple other passages and and look at what does it mean to grow in joy, right? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Uh, It's something that the Spirit produces in us as we fix our eyes on Jesus and we follow Him. And and so what I want to do is, is look at a few main ways that we can actually grow in this type of joy, actually grow in this happiness. And so one of the first things that we have to do is that we have to grasp that joy in Jesus relies on us remaining in his presence. Joy in Jesus, to to be full, to have that completeness of joy, it relies on us remaining in his presence. If you've got a Bible, um, Psalm chapter 16, we're going to turn there real quick. Psalm 16, 11 is is one of my favorites. Uh, It is a beautiful, beautiful passage. It speaks about this joy. It speaks about um, God himself. And Psalm 16, 11 says this. You reveal the path of life to me. This is David talking to God, writing to God. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. In your presence is abundant joy, and at your right hand are eternal pleasures. Is this what we think of when we think about God, right? I just said our joy relies on us remaining in his presence because David tells us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that in the presence of God, in the presence of Yahweh himself, is fullness of joy. A.W. Tozer has a very famous quote, and and he, an old school theologian, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you hear the word God, what do you think? According to Psalm 16, 11, when, when, when David hears God, he says, fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. This is God's heart. He he is himself joy. He is himself happy. I I mean, think think about, I know this is going to sound really weird, but just think with me for a moment. Think about somebody that is just generally grumpy, right? Hopefully that person's not in the room and you don't point at them if they are, but just somebody who kind of walks around, just kind of, just always seems angry and cynical and grumbling and complaining and grumpy. Right. Imagine that person. Let's pray for them real quick. Jesus, help them. I can be that at times. Ask my wife. Absolutely. Um, But picture that person in your mind. Now imagine that person coming to you and saying, in my presence, there is fullness of joy. (laughs) Right. 
you you'd be like, nah, like there just isn't. Um, we I know you. Like there is not fullness of joy in your presence when I'm around you. I feel completely zapped. Uh, I feel drained of my energy. Putting up with just hearing the cynicism and gossip and grumbling and everything is awful. And I think for many of us, when we think about God and God saying to us, in my presence, there's fullness of joy. Many of us would go, "Mm, I'm not not sure about that, God. Like, I've read the Old Testament. Like, like I've seen some of the things you've done. Like, like, are you sure in your presence there's fullness of joy? Here's the one main reason I'm convinced that many of us have a a flawed view of God, especially in his joy. We, unfortunately, have developed a theology as humans. I think that we believe the lie that we are at the center. We are the deepest source of God's joy and satisfaction. And if that were true, and, and trust, please hear me, God loves you. He does. But but if you were the deepest source of God's joy and contentment and happiness, it actually makes sense that he wouldn't be happy all the time, right? Like, no offense to you, but if God, all he did all day long was watch you and his barometer of happiness and sadness went up and down based on you, he, he might actually be sad a lot of the times. He might actually be grumpy a lot of the times, right? Like even Grant, you know, the godliest man in the world, maybe 8% of his life, God would be like, woohoo, the rest of you, I don't know, right? Like what percentage of your life would you be certain that God just looks at your life and he's like, yes, yes, proud of you, I'm excited. Here, so here's the good news. God loves you, but his source of contentment, his source of joy is not contingent upon you. This, this is why he's always happy. This is why he is always joyful. Does does he have sadness in the midst of it? Yes. Similar to what Paul says in Corinthians. He says, sorrowful yet always rejoicing that, that God even himself can hold these tensions together. But the good news is God in and of himself is all sufficient. He was the eternal blessed king for all eternity's past and he is for all eternity's future and he is right now Our existence on this earth is a little blip on the radar in God's grand scheme of eternity. And does sin break his heart? Yes. Does sin make him mad? Yes. But but, but the good news is that he is not just a constant mood changing based on you. He's sufficient in and of himself. He finds his deepest source of joy in and of himself. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they actually don't need you. He he doesn't need you. He loves you, but he doesn't need you. And if you think he needs you as if some codependent relationship that he can't differentiate himself from you, then yeah, it makes sense that he'd be grumpy most of the time, but he's not. God was gracious to give me a picture of this about five years ago. Um, I try my best to wake up early before the sun comes up to spend time with him, um, some time of prayer. I've got young ones. So if I'm going to get any time with Jesus, it's got to be early before they're up. And it was about five years ago um, and I was waking up early 
went out to the living room and I was going through a season where it was, it was just kind of a drag to go out there. You know, it's like, oh, there are seasons where prayer time is rich and beautiful. And there's other seasons I'm like, am I just talking to a wall? Like what's, what's happening right now? And so it was in one of those seasons I felt really dry, just disconnected from God. And uh, I went out to pray and in my pitch black living room, I begin praying and God in his grace gives me this picture. I believe it was from him. It was, um, it, it was a dinner party. And I don't think too deep. Maybe I got to figure out my, my theology of the Trinity. But at the dinner party was the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it was just the three of them. Three in one. Three persons, one God, right? And they were having a blast. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, laughing, having fun, eating, drinking, having a wonderful time at the dinner party. And all of a sudden, I showed up. I showed up. They're like, Brad! God's like, yay, he's here. And he starts talking. And this is what prayer looks like. I'm, I'm entering into a fellowship of joy that already existed before I was there. And, and it was one of the most freeing and exciting and compelling things for my prayer life that I've ever experienced. Because here's what I actually believe most mornings. Most mornings when I walk out into the dark living room, I get this picture, it's, it's, it's of Satan, um, from Satan, but the, the picture is Jesus just kind of lonely on the couch. He's like, oh, you're finally up. I've been waiting. Okay, glad you're here, you know, what's, what's going on? Kind of like a therapist who's just been sitting in the dark waiting for my lazy butt to get out of bed. And I'm, I'm here now and I, maybe I spend 45 minutes with him talking with him. And all of a sudden the kids are up or I got to get to work meeting or I got to go eat some breakfast or whatever it is. And then Jesus is sitting in the dark and he's like, bye, Brad, I'm, I'm going to miss you. I don't know what I'm going to do with my time anymore. That's not true. God in himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he exists as a joyful triune God. And while he loves me, he loves fellowship with me. His joy is not dependent upon me. He is the happy God. He is a happy, happy God. Think about the reason you and I aren't happy. It's because we don't get what we want. My unhappiness comes from the fact that I have unmet expectations that, that continually are frustrated. Psalm tells us that, that God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. God, God's plans are never thwarted. Everything he desires, he gets. He is the infinitely happy God. He loves you, but his joy is not contingent upon you. And would that be a reason for you to rejoice and pursue him, knowing that he's happy, knowing that he loves you deeply? In Brendan Manning's book, A Glimpse of Jesus, he talks about this. He's actually quoting uh, a different author, but um, I love the way this is said. It says, if Jesus sat at your dining room table tonight with full knowledge of everything you are and are not, if Jesus laid out your whole life story with the hidden agenda and the dark desires unknown even to yourself, it would still be impossible to be saddened in his presence. He knows everything about you. He knows it all. He knows things you don't even know about you. And he is the infinitely happy king. He loves you. He's for you. And so we need to stay in his presence. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. We need to grasp that. Wouldn't that be the main reason we don't pray? 
If we actually believe that in his presence there's fullness of joy, we would be running to him all the time. Yet most of us have a flawed view of God where he's just kind of sitting lonely in the dark and like, oh, hey, so glad you finally showed up. He is sufficient in himself. But by his grace, he has called us. He has invited us to enter into what C.S. Lewis calls the dance of the Trinity. So we need to remain in his presence. Not only do we need to remain in his presence to grow in joy, but our joy in Jesus also relies in our reflection of his love. Our growth and advancement of joy in Jesus relies on reflecting his love to others. Flip back to John chapter 15 for a moment. John 15, verse 10. We just read it, but we'll read it again. Jesus says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. That that verse 11 about Having your joy complete is sandwiched in between commands to love, to remain in Jesus' love, but also to love others. See, many of us think that the secret to happiness is to just get as much stuff, to be as self-centered as possible. And friends, that, that is the secret to misery. If you want to be a miserable, sad human being, try to make everything in your life about you. It's not. And when we live outside of the reality of of which God has invited us into, we face sadness, we face grief, we face just an emptiness and a lack of fulfillment. But when we walk out God's true commands for us of reflecting his love to others, we find a deep joy, we find a deep freedom. And this is what Jesus is saying. It, It wasn't like random. He doesn't say, I want to make your love complete. I want to make your joy complete, rather. Uh, go, go love some people. No, he's saying they're dependent upon each other. Your joy is dependent upon your ability to love others because you were made, whether you're Christian or you're not a Christian, you were made in the image of God. And God is love. And to the degree that you are able to walk out and image and reflect his true being will be to the degree that you find true fulfillment and happiness in this life. The most miserable people in the world are those who reject God's ways and try to seek their own meaning in life. But when God said, no, 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 this, this is the way to life. It is to be loved by him and to extend that love to others. That's where joy is. And think about it. I mean, just think honestly of your own life. Think of some of the highlights of your life. Is it not when we're loving and sacrificing for others? Is it not when we're experiencing that love and sacrifice from others going, whoa, This is what life is all about. Our joy relies on us reflecting his love. But friends, just like 1 John 4 tells us that we love because he first loved us. That we don't have an ability in and of ourselves just to pour out sacrificial love. We, by our own sinful nature, are selfish. We are self-absorbed creatures who are always making everything about us. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, he came selflessly 
He came loving God, loving others in a way that we never had done or ever could do. And yet on the cross, paying for our sin, paying the penalty for our sin, Jesus Christ forgave us. He made us clean. He offered us new life through the resurrection. He rose from the dead and now has given us his spirit so that the same spirit that was in Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, can now be in us. So that love that he has poured out to us in our sinfulness, we can now pour out to others in their sinfulness. Our love no longer has to be conditional based on whether or not that person deserves it. That that coworker, that neighbor, that family member, well, they don't deserve my love. Jesus Christ looks at you and goes, you didn't deserve my love. And yet I loved you anyways. It's God's love that makes us able to love others, but we have to receive his love. And it is a gift purely by grace. And some of us will reject it because, well, I don't, I don't need to get his love. I've, I've done good. I've been a good person. That is a rejection of his free gift. And others of you are going, no, I, I don't deserve it. I've messed up too much. I've done too many bad things. There's no way God can love me. And that's another way to reject his love. You need to trust him. You're, you're right. You, you don't deserve his love. But that's the good news of the gospel, that he's loved you even though you aren't lovely. And he makes us lovely by his love. Brennan Man, he says all the time that God loves you as you are, not as you should be. Because nobody is as they should be. And as I sit in that truth day in and day out, God, you love me as I am. You don't love a future version of Brad. You love me, Brad Sarian, right now as I am, not as I should be. And as I sit in that, guess what it does? It frees me up to love others, to love my wife, to love my kids, to love my enemies, not as they should be, but as they are. Because that's how I've been loved. That's how I am loved. And to the degree that I exercise and extend that love to others, will I experience the joy of walking in the meaning of life, walking out the fulfillment of being an image bearer of the king of love. It's essential that we grasp this because oftentimes we, we, we in the church, talk about the difference of happiness and holiness, right? I think it was well-intentioned, um, but, but even one of the famous marriage books kind of says, what if marriage isn't about your happiness, it's about your holiness, and, and it's been a wedge that's been driven into the church. It's like, well, it's not about happiness. It's about holiness. Friends, th those two things are not competing ideas. They're not contradictory ideas. Happiness is holiness. Holiness is happiness. There, there is no way to be happy apart from being holy. About actually putting sin to death and following Jesus clearly. And it isn't true holiness unless it's filled with a joy and a happiness in God himself. I mean, we've all met the person, right? Just a mean, old, grumpy person, but they're like, I'm a holy person. It's like, no, you're not. Fruit of the Spirit is joy. And it's important for us. And I know maybe even your brain's been hurting because I keep using the word joy and happiness interchangeably. And it's because the Bible does that, right? We also, not only do we separate holiness and happiness, we've separated happiness and joy. We've got there are two different things, you know? Happiness is this fleet. It's fun, but it's fleeting. Joy, it's a deep-seated thing that can't be taken away. 
And, and all the time, whenever I hear that idea separated, I'm like, man, I'd rather be happy, right? The, the, the preacher, whoever it is, is like, you know, I've got a joy deep down in my soul. <laughs> it doesn't look like it. Like, like joy and happiness, their cheerfulness, their deep contentment, that they should make you smile. Are we going to go through difficult things? Of course we are. But, but that joy, that happiness in Jesus can't be taken away from us. And so it's important for us not to separate these things. Like, hey, do you want to be joyful or do you want to be happy? It's like, I don't know. Maybe happy, maybe joy. It's like both. Jesus gives us both. They're the same thing in the scriptures. They're interchangeable. Um, Randy Alcorn, in his large book, Happiness, he talks, he has a whole chapter on the fact that these two words in the Greek and the Hebrew are the same thing. And the same thing for happiness and holiness, right? Like if, you, if I honestly had to give you a choice, hey, what do you want to be? Do you want to be happy or do you want to be holy? Happy. I mean, all of us, God, God has hardwired us to be happy. He wants us to be happy as his kids. He's a better father than any father you've ever seen. He's a better father than you are. And good dads want their kids to be happy. Yes, they say no at times. Yes, they even discipline their children. But even the discipline, even the saying no, is ultimately for their happiness. It's for their joy. Let us not separate two things that should not be separated. It is essential for us to extend the love that we've received in order to grow in our joy. D.A. Carson, a New Testament theologian, he says it this way. The injunction, the command to remain in Jesus's love presupposes that however much God's love for us is gracious and undeserved, continued enjoyment of that love turns at least in part, on our response to it. So Jesus commands us, remain in my love. And if you remain in my love, if you remain in my presence, your joy will be complete. There's fullness of joy in his presence. But it's our job to make our home there, to stay there. And yet so often it's easy for us to stray, for us to run. Not even just like, oops, I didn't see that coming. Sometimes we intentionally do it. And it's that last piece that I want to unpack for us, that if we want to grow in joy, our joy in Jesus relies on us repenting when we stray, right? Okay, I'm supposed to remain in his presence. I'm supposed to reflect his love. Cool, yes, amen. What happens when I don't? Repent, turn, change your mind, change your direction. When What sin is, is us turning away from God to something else. Repentance is turning back to him and going, God, God, I'm sorry that I thought this would bring me more satisfaction. I thought this would be better for me. I thought that I knew more than you. Repentance is turning back to him. It's turning back to him. And this is what Jesus says. As the fathers loved me, I've also loved you. Remain in my love. What happens when we don't remain in his love? Repent, turn back and run back into his love. His love's always there. It is essential for us to make our home there and to repent and turn back whenever we stray, when we aren't walking in his presence, when we aren't loving others as we ought to and have been invited into it. We need to repent. We need to turn. Romans 2 says that it's God's kindness that leads us into repentance. Friends, I, I was chewing on it this week in prep for this sermon. And I've always held these two ideas and then try to figure out how the tension works. And, and I think by God's grace, it kind of came together. Um, 
the question in my mind has always been, can, can God be displeased with Christians? Right? Like, like hopefully you know that, that you, you, if you're a Christian, if you put your faith in Jesus, that Jesus' righteousness covers you. You are clean. You are called a saint. You are called blameless and holy in the sight of God. How amazing is that? So if that's true, could he ever be displeased with us? And then you see scriptures where, where Paul and New Testament authors talk about that there are specific acts that actually do please God. And there are specific acts that do grieve the spirit. And so which one is it? Am I, am I clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ? Or is there things that I can do that can grieve the spirit of God? Things that I can actually do to please him and displease him? Here's what I believe repentance is. I believe for that for the Christian, that the Christian will never see the displeased face of the Father. And here's why. The displeased face of the Father he is displeased when we turn. He is sad. He, he can be frustrated and grieved deeply when we turn away from his love and seek love elsewhere. We seek joy and satisfaction ultimately outside of him. It breaks his heart. Yet, the good news of the gospel is that at any single moment, you and I can repent and turn back. It is a gift of grace that we can turn back to him. And so is he displeased? Is he saddened? Is he grieved when we turn our back on him? Yes. But friends, the very second you turn back to him in faith, you turn back to him in repentance, those tears of displeasure from his face are transformed into tears of joy because he loves you. Because he wants you. He doesn't hold grudges over your sin. All he wants is you in his presence. He desires you deeply. He's proved it through giving his own son for you. And so would we be men and women who turn back to him no matter what season you've been in? Whether it is days or months or years, turn back to him and you will never see a displeased face because the moment we turn all joy in heaven he celebrates deeply over one sinner who repents he loves us he's for us he has chosen to forget our sins as hebrews tells us because they've been paid for through the death of jesus they've been paid for by his resurrection and so we'd be men and women who constantly turn back to him to enjoy his presence. Repenting, not as an act of, oh no, I've got to do that repenting thing. I've got to do that turning back to him. He's going to be really mad. Repentance is a celebration. Repentance is a coming to yourself, realizing I'm a fool. I thought that my way was better than the king of kings. Jesus, I'm sorry. And for the Christian, this is daily life. This is a daily decision to constantly turn back to him. And when we turn back to him, we enter back into his presence where there's fullness of joy. The good news of the gospel is that the union that we have with God can never be broken. We can't lose our salvation based on sin, but we can lose our communion with God. We can lose that intimacy with God. Sin breaks up that relationship we can repent at any moment and the blood of Christ covers it. 
so that we can sit with our pleased Father who's clothed us with the righteousness of Christ and our joy will be filled as we glorify him and make much of him. We need to build daily rhythms into seeing this happen because how easy is it for us? Maybe even you are disciplined. You spend the first part of your morning with Jesus and you're like, yay, Jesus. And then nine hours go by and you forget. You're like, oh, hey, forgot about you. We need to build disciplines and rhythms into our life that we are constantly coming back and practicing his presence, remembering that in his presence is fullness of joy. At any moment of the day that we are facing difficulty, any moment of the day where we're cynical and grumpy and irritable, we have to go, oh wait, I must not be in the presence of the king. Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And friends, I don't want to belittle the season. I know the season with COVID is hard. It is so, so hard. And yet in the midst of it, no matter how difficult our circumstances may be, we have a king who's never leaving us. We have a savior who loves us infinitely. The spirit who dwells within us to revive our cold and dark hearts. And a father who's always willing to embrace us, to hold us, to love us. I've been going slowly through Acts in the morning as I'm reading the scriptures. And I, just the other day, I was reading Acts 5 when, when the apostles are, are preaching the gospel and the, the religious leaders bring them in and, and they flog them. They say, stop preaching the name. It's wrong. You stop doing it. And before they release them, they flog them. And the apostles, they walk out rejoicing, considering it a joy to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. If there was ever a moment of self-pity for me, that would, that would probably be it. If someone was flogging me because of my love and proclamation of Jesus, I'd be, how dare you, God? Where are you? And the early disciples, the apostles, they rejoiced because that would bring them into a deeper intimacy with Jesus, who is not emotionless in the clouds, but he is the empathetic high priest. Hebrews 12 tells us that it was for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Where did the apostles learn this? Of, of rejoicing in the midst of suffering? The king, Jesus Christ, who joyfully went to the cross. Why? To get us. He loves us. He's for us. Friends, would you in this season take your eyes off your circumstances and put them back onto the king who loves you. He's for you. He's with you. And in his presence, there's fullness of joy. That he is the happy king of kings who says to his children, come to me. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are good, that you are joy-filled, that you are an all-sufficient king who, who does not need us, but, but chose to save us, chose to rescue us because you desired us that deeply. You delighted us. Would that be our joy?